Well, good morning. Uh, we're in our series called Follow, and uh, this is week three, if you want to catch up. Weeks one and two are to be on, the uh, video is on Facebook, and the audio is on our website. And we started off with saying, hey, let's just have a blank slate. Let's just figure out what this, being a Christian, being uh, a follower of Jesus, what it really entails. And so I think we've discovered some some things that might be a little surprising. I think we are, especially today. And we're asking the question, uh, am I following? Not, have I changed anything? Have I believed anything? Uh, am I following? What are you looking for? <laughs> uh, so, let's pray and we'll jump into the, uh, the material for today. Father God, thank you. It's always a joy and a privilege to, to be your spokesman. I just pray these truly are your words, not mine. Uh, we pray that your sweet spirit, Holy Spirit that is here, will communicate the message that each of us needs to hear. It'll penetrate our hearts and truly change us, be more like Jesus. And uh, God, we just thank you for each person here. Uh, none of us are here by accident. And God, you have something special for us. And we are eagerly anticipating that. In Jesus' name, amen. When I get up on Sunday mornings, I run through this material for the last time, and I got to think about this morning. It's kind of like revving up an engine. <laughs> and so by the time I get up here, I'm so excited, and so I just want to spill it all out. And so uh, uh, hopefully I do that in an appropriate way. So uh, am I following Jesus? If I'm following Jesus, where does it lead? Um, we uh, buried Ron, uh, Naomi's husband, on uh, Monday. And I don't know if you ever noticed that if you ever had a funeral procession, what car follows the hearse? Nope. The faster does. Uh, I follow the hearse. And so families gathered, and we got at the, the nursing home, I mean, the nursing home, the funeral home, and uh, funeral director's in the, in the hearse, and, I, and I'm next. And people are behind me. So I'm following him. Now, we're supposed to be going to Cozy Town. I've been there once, I think, in my life. Uh, I didn't know where it was. And so what do I am doing? I am following him. When he turned, I turned, and people behind me were turning, and eventually got there. That was our destination. I was following him so he could get to the gravesite. All right? That makes sense. So if you're following Jesus, what is the destination? Where are you, where are you trying to get? And... Uh, as we read the Gospels especially, and Jesus talks about this, it's probably not what you would think. In fact, it's going to be maybe a little surprising uh, to you. For example, I've been a Jesus follower for over 50 years. If I live long enough, it'll be 60 or 70. Uh, and I get to the end of my life, and I'm going to look back, and I'm going to say, why was it beneficial for me to be a Jesus follower those years? Uh, what would I look back on? What would I see? So, a couple of things that we may think it is, and, but Jesus doesn't describe it this way. First is this. This isn't on your outline, but it's on the screen. If you follow Jesus, where does it lead? Uh, maybe to be a better person? No, Jesus never said, come follow me and you'll be a better person. Never said that. You can't find it in there. <laughs> All right. Now, I believe following Jesus will make you a better person. You'll be a better husband, a better father, a better parent, better uh, 
better member of society, uh, better friend, uh, you'll be more patient, more kind, more loving, all, all these things. We're going to talk about some of these next week. All right. But he never says, that's, that's my, you come follow me so you'll be a better person. He never says that. It's kind of like a, a better or a, a byproduct of following Jesus, a great one, but it's not the destination, the, the way Jesus describes it. All right, here's another one. Probably you might think of, this might be it. If I'm following Jesus, where does it lead? It leads me to heaven. Well, yes, it does, but that's not the way he described it. it. Jesus never described it that way. In fact, there's this fascinating story in the New Testament, and most of you probably know it. Jesus is hanging on the cross with two other guys, and these guys are so terrible that the Romans are executing them because they're not even worthy to be slaves. So these are bad dudes. They're really bad guys. Anyway, the one guy scolds the other guy for giving Jesus a hard time. And Jesus says this weird thing to this, this guy, this criminal dying on a cross. He said, hey, I'll see, you, I'll see you later in paradise. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> this guy, best we knew, didn't, didn't believe anything. He certainly never changed his behavior. And the best we know, he had no chance to follow Jesus, right? So he didn't even follow Jesus, yet he wound up in heaven. And some of, that, some of you might bother, <laughs> that story might bother you, uh, but it's because of the grace of God, right? And we're kind of all like that guy on the cross, and the only reason we get to go to heaven is because of God's grace to us. None of us deserve it. He said that, he didn't deserve, that Jesus didn't deserve to die on the cross, even though he did, and we don't deserve to get to heaven. So it's God's grace. So that's not the destination. Again, another byproduct, a wonderful byproduct, a benefit of being a Jesus follower is one day we're going to be in God's presence for eternity. But that's not where Jesus said it was going to, where, where he was leading us. The third thing that we might think it is, and this is becoming really prevalent in the Christian church today, unfortunately, that uh, following Jesus and a lead to a problem-free life. Now, I always wonder where these pastors get this because we're following Jesus. Does Jesus have a problem-free life? No, but anyway, I don't want to chase a rabbit here. Uh, but it come, I, I couldn't think of a better word than superstitious. Uh, we, we can become superstitious. We come up with these uh, ideas that if you do this and this and this, picking out a, you can pick it out of the Bible, then God's got to do this. <laughs> and anything you say God's got to do something, then uh, you're in trouble because God's God and we're not. Now, there are promises in the Bible, and they're conditional, but you can't say, just because I do this, this has got to happen. If I'm following Jesus, my life's going to be easy. It's going to be problem-free. I'll just give you one example. Um, tithing. I believe you should tithe. That's giving the first 10% of your income or more uh, uh, to God. Um, but people get taught sometimes, well, if I tithe, then I'm going to be materially wealthy. Well... Let me ask you a simple question. If I give God the first 10% and waste the other 90%, am I going to be wealthy? No, no. So it's, it's not a, a, a blank check, so to speak. It's a, kind of a superstition. Uh, we may call it a, a formula. Now, here's the problem. With all superstition, you know, cross your fingers, whatever it is, sometimes it works, right? You know, I'm going to cross my fingers so this doesn't go back. And it doesn't go back. Wow, I, I think that helped. That worked. 
And we do the same with thing with God and Christianity. Sometimes we describe him as, as a genie, you know, rub the, the, the lamp and get our wishes. So certainly, following Jesus, and we're going to look at a passage that, that reiterates the fact that it isn't to have a problem-free life. In fact, as we're going to read, it may be just the opposite. So if following Jesus, where does it lead? It's going to lead to something extraordinary. Something extraordinary. And the interesting thing about it is, first century Christians really struggle with this. Even the disciples. And we still struggle with it today, and the church has struggled for 2,000 years, with this following Jesus, the destination, the, the end line is going to be, the finish line, where he's trying to take us, uh, like the dad trying to get the kid out on the, on the, uh, on the ice. Where is God trying to take us? Now, if you're considering being a Jesus follower, or if you're a Jesus follower, I think it's pretty important to understand where we're going, don't you? I think it is. Now, Jesus had lots of followers initially in his ministry, and at, at first there were like three groups. He'd go to a town, and it would be all the local people. But then there was a, this other group, smaller group, that would move around with him. And uh, then eventually he got a group we call the disciples or the, or the apostles, and he, he whittled it down to 12. And so we're going to look at Matthew 10. And Matthew 10, don't have time to look at it at all, but Matthew 10 starts with Jesus picking the 12, and they're all listed there. Now, we've already looked at five of these. We looked at Matthew week one, Peter, Andrew, James, and John last week. So he picks the 12, and he gives them instructions. He says, go out, don't take a lot of stuff with you, don't be encumbered, uh, uh, accept people's hospitality, etc., etc. So we're going to jump in uh, in verse 16. And in this story, we're going to find out what the destination or finish line of being a Jesus follower is. So... (laughs) At this point, he jumps in with this, this statement. Look, he says, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. That doesn't sound very pleasant, does it? Um, so be as shrewd as snakes and as harmless as doves. So what is he saying? There's going to be conflict. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be problems. There's going to be pain. And I got to think about the interesting thing is, if you're a sheep and enters a wolf, what is your only hope? The shepherd, right? You, you can't defend yourself against a, against a wolf. Your only hope is the shepherd. And of course, who's our shepherd? Jesus. So he's saying, okay, I'm sending you out. You're going to be like sheep among, sheep among wolves. You know, be as wise, but be as kind as you can. Then he says, but beware, not that you shouldn't be already after verse, <laughs> verse 16, but verse 17, he says, be aware, for you'll be handed over, next slide, you'll be handed over to the courts and will be flogged with whips in the synagogue. Boy, it's even getting better all the time. <laughs> now, this is confusing to these guys because Jesus is really popular. Thousands of people are coming, and if you're like in Jesus' inner circle, if Jesus is popular, guess what? You're popular. People are treating you special. And so, really popular, and Jesus starts talking about, wait a minute, flogging uh, and taking to court? And he goes on. It doesn't get any better. (laughs) He says, you will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. Next slide. 
But this will be your opportunity. Okay, okay. So you're going to even wind up in court. You're going to get be- between, in front of actually important people. But this will be your opportunity. So look at it as an opportunity to tell the rules and other believers about me. Now, not about what Jesus taught or what Jesus said, but about what Jesus did. Because we know that the whole key, the, res- uh, the, the New Testament salvation is, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So there's a lot of good teachers, but there's only been one Jesus that, that rose from the dead. Then he goes on. When you're arrested, not if. So this isn't like this may happen. This is going to happen. Jesus is kind of looking into the future. And if you read the book of Acts, all this stuff actually happens, right? Uh, We've got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then Acts. And that's about the early church. He says, when you are arrested, when this happens to you, don't worry. No, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> I'm going to be possibly flogged, and people even die when they're flogged. And then I'm going to go to court, and they could sentence me to be crucified or executed. And you say, when this happens, no problem. Don't worry about it. He says, don't worry about how to respond or what to say. Well, God, I'm going to try and talk them out of <laughs> uh, what they're going to do to me. He said, God will give you the right words at the right times. And this is sometimes taken out of context. But in this context, he's saying, okay, when you have these difficult situations, problems, whatever, you know, I don't know about you, but that's what I'm, I, I think, kind of think ahead. What am I going to say? What am I? He says, you know, relax. Then he goes on, he says, for it's not you who will be speaking. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> you just said, I, I shouldn't worry about what I'm going to say. He clarifies, he said, it will be the spirit of your father speaking through you. Now, in that case, I'm thinking, well, it's kind of nice, Jesus, you're going to be words to say, but why don't you just keep me from being arrested in the first place? Then we don't get in this situation, right? <laughs> so why am I being arrested? Well, he already said, one gave him one clue. He said, so that you have this opportunity to tell people about me. So now we're going to get to, skip down a few more verses, we're going to get to the crux of why we are to be Jesus followers. He says, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. He says, bad things are going to happen. He said, when they happen, don't be afraid, but I'm going to be afraid. He said, don't be afraid. God's got this. Someone's put it this way. uh, When you speak out of your weakness, you never run out of material. And that's basically what I'm doing this morning because I'm not, (laughs) I haven't reached this destination yet. uh, But that's the destination Jesus gives us. And then he uses this, this wonderful illustration, it uses something similar in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, okay, here's why you don't need to be afraid. What's the price of two sparrows, a copper coin, but not a single sparrow falls to the ground without your father knowing it? <clears throat> and we were just talking about this the other day. You know, there's millions of believers in the world, but when I talk to Jesus, I believe, or God through Jesus, that I've got his full attention. All right, well, it's even better than that, all right? He says, not only do you have my attention, even the birds 
that fall to the ground have my attention. And then this next verse, pretty familiar verse, but it's just kind of mind-boggling when you think about it. He says, not only does he see the, the birds that fall, he says, the very hairs on your head are numbered. Now, why in the world would God know how many hairs are on everybody's head? So what's the principle here? God knows every little detail. So then he reiterates what he said earlier. He says, so, if God knows about the birds to fall, if he knows how many hairs are on your head, he says, duh, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What gives something value? Now, if you buy a set of tires for your car, and they tell you they're going to be 1,000 miles, and they last 60,000 miles, then you think you have, that was a good value, right? If they only last 40,000 miles, you think that you were ripped off or you didn't, it wasn't of value. So it's value is determined by what lasts or what has sticking power. And he's saying, your faith in me should have the, the power and the value to last. So, on your outline. It's not, don't be afraid because bad things aren't going to happen to you. Uh, nobody needs to tell you that, right? You know bad things are going to happen. They've already happened to you, and they're going to continue to happen in the future. It uh, doesn't matter if I'm a Jesus follower or not. So it's not, don't be afraid because these, these bad things aren't going to happen. So what is, what is he saying? He's saying, don't be afraid when these bad things happen. So on your outline, I put it this statement. The destination of faith or following Jesus or being a believer or being a Christian, whatever, is overwhelming, faith that overwhelms fear. That's the destination. A little surprising, isn't it? That's where Jesus is trying to take us. And we'll give you a couple examples here in a minute. Another word we might use is confidence. So if I believe that God, my God is, knows the number of hairs on my head, that he'll never leave me or forsake me. When I, whatever decisions I'm facing, financial decision, a health-related decision, uh, 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 a relationship decision, uh, whatever, if I have the confidence, the faith, the trust, whatever word you want to use, to believe that, God, that, that that's the kind of God that we have, our faith is going to be bigger than whatever it is. And we'll have faith instead of fear. Now, Jesus was always testing the disciples, and they failed a lot of these tests. And uh, uh, we're gonna, I'm going to show you a video version of, uh, of one of these tests. And it's actually in, in Mark chapter 4, I believe.
Now, most of you probably know this story. This was a real danger, or appeared to be a real danger, right? Drowning, the boat sinking, and uh, they wake Jesus up, and they're, they're afraid, and then he says to them, after he calms the storm, all right, he says, why are you afraid? Uh, duh, I mean, it seems obvious, right? He said, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They're saying, why the storm, God? Why the test? And Jesus saying, why so little faith? My goal for you is fearless faith. One of the problems disciples had was they underestimated Jesus. And don't we do that? Oh, he can't calm a storm. He can't fix my marriage, he can't fix my health, he can't fix my relationship, he can't, oh, we're all guilty of underestimating Jesus. He says, where's your faith? It's interesting, the next verse, I didn't put it on there, but depending on the translation, it said that, that they had a, the literal translation, they feared a greater fear. They feared a greater fear. So their fear of the storm was like here, and after Jesus healed, Calm the storm, their, their fear of Jesus was like up here. Another translation some says awe, awe or respect. So, if the destination of being a Jesus follower is fearless faith, or faith that overwhelms fear, why is that? Why is that the destination? Let me give you a couple of possible reasons. <clears throat> First one is this. Overwhelming Faith honors God. Isn't that what our life's supposed to be about honoring God? I'm trying to give you an illustration. Hopefully this helps. <laughs> when my kids would have friends over, I would find out later that their friends were afraid of me. And it was always strange to me because I, I wasn't mean or anything to these kids. I'm just an introvert. I didn't talk a lot. And so I guess it's fear of the unknown. I don't know what it is. But of course, my kids would say to these, their friends, well, you don't need to be afraid of my dad, right? Um, so that honors me that my kids would take up for me, so to speak. And so overwhelming faith honors God, obviously greater than that. And I put this on your outline. Walking by faith means doing what we would do if we were confident, 100% sure, that God was with you. Now, they had Jesus in the boat. <laughs> they weren't quite sure who he was at this point. But honors God, and probably, I don't know, I'm just saying this, other reasons probably the most important one, not that, uh, something more important than honoring God, maybe deeper is a better word. Uh, why, faith over, why faith that overwhelms fear is the destination. The other reason, another reason could be this. Overwhelming faith 
frees us to love. We talk about this a lot. What is God's marching orders for us? Love God, love other people. In fact, the way you love God is by loving other people. So it basically boils down to loving people. So that means loving your ex. It means loving your enemies. God says we're supposed to love our enemies. We're actually even supposed to pray for our enemies. We don't even pray for our friends. He's saying pray for your enemies. Uh, these are the people that have mistreated us. Maybe people that have authority over us. Maybe people that are abusing us. He says, no, 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 no. You are to love them. You are to pray for them. Uh, how do you do that? And he says, this is the way. By having this overwhelming faith in me. Most of you know one of my favorite verses is 1 John 4, 18. Because I see a lot of fear in my own life. I see a lot of fear in other people's lives. Or maybe worry. If you don't like the word fear, worry is a form of fear. And John, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples, he, he wrote this. He said, such love has no fear. God's love has no fear. Don't need to fear God. He says, perfect love expels all fear. So, if I'm experiencing perfect love, I have no fear. I have no worry. I have no anxiety. I have no stress. All right? Perfect. If I experience all the perfect. But none of us experience it perfectly, do we? So he says, if you're afraid, fear of punishment, and this shows that we have not fully experienced this perfect love. And I've shared this. When I start getting anxious or I start being afraid of this or that, I quote this verse to myself. And I'm saying, I'm not experiencing God's perfect Love, otherwise I would have perfect peace. And he's saying, love and fear are incompatible. They are. God's love and fear are incompatible. So, if you're fearing, you're not loving. If you're loving, you're not fearing. Another way to put it, I put it on your outlines this. As fear, fears decrease, our ability to love increases. Now, we probably all met these people that just kind of seemed to be able to do this, love the unloving, love their enemies, uh, face life with this overwhelming fear, uh, uh, faith, and no fear. We just got a, well, we've got a call from a former member here that's, that's facing a serious health issue, and she's younger than me, so she's not real old, and she said, if I die, I'm ready to go. And I'm thinking, wow, what, that, that, that's it right there, right? Um, we met people like that. And there's something about that, those people that, I don't know, for me anyway, I, I want that. I want to be there. I want to be that place where I have fearless faith, where I, I, I don't worry about anything. So it reminded me of something Paul wrote in Romans, and we could spend a whole sermon series on this passage, but we're just going to read a couple of the verses out of, out of Romans chapter 8. And again, this is a really familiar verse, and why verses are really familiar is because they're powerful, Right? And so this is a powerful verse that we quote often. We know, not that we believe or we think, but we know that God causes everything to work together for good. Of course, not everything is good. We talked about bad stuff's going to happen. He said, see, I'm God, and I can take whatever mess you make or whatever mess that you come across, and I can make something good out of it. Now, it's not for everybody. It's just for those that love God or Jesus' followers. So if you're not, we're delighted that you're here. We hope that someday you step across that line and then this promise would be applicable to you too. But notice this, and are called according to his purpose for them. So it's not for our purposes, it's not for our happiness, it's for 
his purpose. So we aren't necessarily happy because everything worked out some certain way. God has a purpose. And skipping down a few verses, he said, what shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? We're going to see this <laughs> in a couple of verses. Okay, I got God. doesn't really matter who's on this side. I think I'm going to win. Uh, since he did not spare, and this is the way we know that, he, that we can trust him. Since he did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. While we were at sinners, right in another place. So not because we were good or not because we deserved it. It's because God decided in his love and mercy and his grace that he's going to let his son suffer and die for us. So if he didn't keep back the most precious thing to himself, his only son, won't he also give us everything else? So there's nothing God withholds from us that he doesn't think, except for what we don't need or he wouldn't be good for us. So then in this pretty familiar verse, he says, can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us? It's a really important question. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death or have to deal with an ex or have to deal with some bad medical reports? Or we have to deal with some financial crisis or we have to deal with whatever. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? I just put it on your outline in this way. God's in control. I'm not afraid. It's kind of like your little kids. You look, little kids are with their parents. They're not afraid, are they? They figure their parents got control of the situation. So as we follow, or the longer we follow, the greater we follow, the bigger our faith will get and the smaller our fears will get. And then just finish up with this verse. This is Jesus in the last hours of his life talking to the disciples. He's trying to give them that last pep talk before he dies. <laughs> and he says something really, really profound and important to us. He says, I have told you all of this. This is John 14 and 15 and 16. So you may have peace, peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows. That's pretty straightforward, right? Here on earth, you're going to have many trials and sorrows, not just a few. But don't let it discourage you. Don't let it bother you. Don't be afraid, he says, because I have overcome the world. So you and I don't go through this world alone. We got God on our side. Another way to state this, the opposite of faith is fear. So I want to end with this question. What are you afraid of? What area of your life do you not have the faith to believe that God can be God, that God's in control, God can calm the storm of the sea. What are you afraid of? And I feel this rebuke as much as anybody. Jesus saying, what? Oh, oh ye of little faith. The destination of following Jesus is fearless faith. 
Let's pray. Ah. God, you know my heart, you know my life, you know that there are fears there. Fears that shouldn't be there, obviously. Uh, forgive me, and I can say that, ask that same prayer probably for everyone in this room. God, if we know your character, if we know your track record, <laughs> there, should be need, there should be no fear. And God, I thank you so much for those folks that you've put in my life over the years that seem to walk with fearless faith. What an inspiration they are. In the midst of this world's troubles and storms, you can ha- we can have peace. Because you're a God that loves us enough to send an only son to die. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.